Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast. We are, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave, all of whom have joined today. More controversy, more rewriting of the script from Spurs, another great game between two great clubs, and of course, some more last minute drama. Spurs have won a game against Liverpool, which we do not do very often, leaving us as one of only two unbeaten clubs remaining in this year's Premier League. The other one, of course, being Arsenal. And Ange Postacoglu is now only the second Spurs manager in the Premier League history to go unbeaten in his first seven games. So uh, it's all looking very rosy indeed. And of course, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of controversy, a lot of great football and a lot to discuss. And I have a dream team with me to help go through all of that as usual. The usual guys are all back again, Elio, Dave and Sars. Guys, welcome. Welcome back for what should be a very interesting episode, to say the least. Elio, I'll come to you first. You were at the game again, and for the second home match running, some high-caliber drama in the dying moments. How is your voice today? You recovered as well as you did last time. I'm okay now. I was pretty raspy yesterday. I don't think I went quite as mental as I did in the Sheffield United game. I don't know why. I think the Sheffield United game almost gave me more belief that we were going to do it again this time, albeit against (laughs) fast earner opposition. But yeah, I had a few hours recovery time, but lots of wine now. So nice lubricated (laughs) vocal cords for this podcast. (laughs) 95th minute hardly even counts as last minute drama anymore by our standards, does it? I mean, that's just, you know, taking it easy. Yeah, exactly. We had ages left. We had ages. So, so welcome back. I'm not going to ask you if we're going to win the league because it's getting a little bit silly <laughs> now, but I imagine you are pleasantly surprised with the outcome of that game, even if we did have to wait for two of their players to get sent off and six minutes of injury time to get the job done. Yeah, I think this season has been one of kind of dispelling curses so far because we beat Man United <laughs> for the first time, I think, in two or three years since the 6-1 I think we arrested what three or four defeats in a row at the Emirates, albeit it was only a point. And now we've got our first victory against Liverpool in any competition home or away in about six years. So long may that continue. Exactly. In fact, we had only won one of the last 23 meetings with Liverpool before, before this weekend, which is ridiculous, which would have been that 4-1 we talked about last week. So yeah, definitely a season for dispelling curses, which obviously takes me right back to saying, are oh, we going to win some trophies? But we'll, we'll leave that for now. Dave, welcome back for another week. Once again, Again, Ange Postacoglu and Spurs have served up a footballing feast for you. You're a, you're a very lucky man at the moment getting to watch Spurs every week. How did you enjoy this one? I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it wasn't the most exciting thing of the weekend. The golf was way better. But um, <laughs> it was... Uh, it was. Oh, and obviously, Harry Kane scoring again for Bayern. That's exciting, isn't it? Ooh. So, so yeah, other than that, yeah. Third place Bayern. Yeah, third place really? beating Bayern. That rings a bell. But yeah, it was a very good game. It was very watchable. And once again, Spurs have delivered on Sky Sports Live. We certainly have. One thing you can say about Spurs is that whatever we do, we are not boring, I think it's fair to say. So yeah, a lot to talk about. Obviously, you all know the story. 2-1 last minute win. A couple of red cards Liverpool. We're going to talk about all of those things. But before we get into the nitty gritty and get into the details, let's talk a little bit about this game in general and how it's left us feeling. Elio, obviously, we were kind of, what was it you said a couple of weeks ago, riding the crest of a tsunami. We're, we're keeping it going somehow. We've managed to stumble over the line. How are you feeling after that game? Because you could say it's slightly worrying that we had to have two red cards and a lot of injury time to get the job done. But obviously, a very good team. What are your overall thoughts in the aftermath of that result? It depends if this is the time for my monologue or if that's coming later. I'll let you decide. <laughs> 
So by your monologue, I mean, I think regular listeners will probably be expecting some kind of tirade against Liverpool, their fans and the general outcry in response to some of the decisions. Is it safe to say that that's what you're referring to? That is. It'll come later. It'll come later. Let's Should keep we hold this that part of the show yeah? semi-respectable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about the what football? Am I what feeling? about performance? What about the football? The way I see it is breaking down a camped in their area eight-man Liverpool team is much harder than breaking down a 10-man camped in their area Sheffield United side, for instance, because that Liverpool side averages several dozen million cost per player camped in that box. They're full of absolutely unbelievable talents. I mean, Van Dijk, Canate and Matic, all in defence in the first place is bad enough, but we're talking about a better manager and better players than a newly promoted side, even if there are fewer of them. I'm not concerned that it took us a while to get through them because we did get through them and we got through them by just sheer determination, persistence and camping around their area for the entire second half. We were doing that before they had their second sending off and we did that more after their second sending off. Mm-hmm. When it was 11 v 11, the teams were pretty evenly matched, I thought. When it was 11 v 10, we got a bit on top, but then we got a bit complacent. I actually thought that we took our foot off the gas after we took the lead and that's why Liverpool were able to resurge a bit and get their equaliser. And then in the second half, there was only one team that had any intent of scoring a goal at any point. Liverpool had settled for the point before their second sending off. So I think just desserts. It was the right result in the end, even if we had to wait a while. And I know there's a lot of fans who are sort of saying, oh, we struggle to break down a nine-man Liverpool team. This was a nine-man second-best team in the league, Liverpool team, and one of the top five teams in Europe in all probability, so managed by one of the top managers on the planet. So, yeah, we struggled to break down a nine-man Liverpool, but we still broke them down. We still got the result against a team that have had a voodoo over us for a long time. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm proud of the players. It may not have been their best performance of the season, but it was good enough. It's almost irrelevant, isn't it, when we're talking about the number of players they had? Because at that point, it was just a case of how difficult they were making it for us to score a goal, right? I mean, if they had more players on the pitch, more of those players would have been higher up. And yeah, they might have posed a threat on the counter-attack, but it was essentially just actually having more defenders to contend with than we normally would. So it was more difficult, arguably, to score. I'm not going to say more difficult to play against, because that's a bit of a bad football cliche. Obviously, you'd rather play against nine than than 11. But in terms of the defence, it was definitely more difficult. Do you think that was the highest collective transfer value ever assembled inside a six-yard box in Premier League history. It, it might have been. Um, <laughs> it, it may well have been. It may well have been. I mean, yeah. the thing is, even with how long it took us, we're talking about a composed striker versus Richarlison having two guilted chances, both not being on target, one hit the post and one straight at their goalkeeper. We had yeah. two world-class saves from Madison and Son, especially the one from Son. That's going to be save of the season. I mean, that was incredible. Oh, yeah. We could have blown them away long before we actually did get that second goal, long before they had their second red card. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't see this sort of stuttery performance that a lot of other people see. I just see we were up against a better team than we have been in other weeks. Therefore, we played slightly worse than we have been in other weeks. We were still the better team. We still deserve to win. 
in my very honest opinion, <laughs> and in actual fact. Which are, of course, um, synonyms for each other, right? Socks, Elio says that we were more or less level with Liverpool. You pretty much matched them before the red cards. You were saying last week that you think this is going to be the toughest team we're facing so far. And you, I think you said during the game that they're the best team we've come up against so far, whether they're playing with 11, 10 or 9. Do you stand by that? And do you think this is going to be up there with the most difficult teams we're going to have to beat this year? Yeah, I was really impressed by them. Like I know Klopp has been speaking a lot about Liverpool 2.0 or whatever, but this seems like Liverpool 2.5 in the sense that this doesn't look like the start of another rebuild. They look quite far ahead and into that rebuild. Obviously, yeah. they've got an entirely new midfield, but the rest of the team is pretty settled. Like Salah's been there for ages. Their defence is fairly settled. Like I was really, really impressed with them. And this is the second time they've done this, which is to say, gone down to 10 men away at difficult grounds. Obviously, Newcastle, they went on and got the win under different circumstances, but kind of always had a foothold in that game as well. I, I slightly mm. disagree with Eddie in the sense that I gave the edge to them and I said as much during the game. And I think part of that is just by virtue of the fact how impressive they look down to 10. I think in turn on the balance of play, there wasn't too much by way of like, I don't think they had 10 more clear card chances than we did. Alisson pulled off a couple of great saves early in the Second half. second half I think it was yeah, yeah pretty close to one another they had some good chances against us as well so I don't think it was a case of like they were peppering Vicario with shot after shot and we were sort of struggling to contain them but I think the threat of their front three which is so much better than ours I think across the board and in terms of depth as well like the loss of Harry Kane means that you've only got one out and out quality quality player in Sunday obviously you've got Kudiseski as well but the fact that you can have Salah Gakpo who scored and Luis Diaz and then bring on potentially Nunes and potentially Jota I think that's the difference like that was such a well-oiled front three that I was more terrified when they went forward versus us but Mm. either way look, it it was a weird game because I'm not sure I I feel like I learned more about Liverpool in that game than I did about Spurs in the sense that it was kind of to and fro and a little bit tug of war and I don't think there was one team that was dominating for any more than sort of 10 or 15 minutes at a time and the way the decisions went and the fact that they went down to 10 men and then nine and really had to change the game meant that obviously I take the win but I learned way more and I almost in a bizarre way I walked away more satisfied last week I suppose just and I was happy with the performance overall even though this was obviously a better result but either way I know it came about in a controversial fashion but I'm not gonna turn my nose up at any win yeah no you absolutely won't you'll take it won't you Dave I know it's borderline irrelevant but for argument's sake if we look at the way the two teams were playing up until that quite early first red card. Where did you see it going at that point? Had there not been a couple of sendings off, do you think that the result would have been the same? Did you think Spurs had the better of the first sort of 20 minutes or so? It's hard to tell and that's yeah, what it's I on. mean, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer, yeah. but you've got to assume that even though they did have quite an attacking threat, as, as Sox just mentioned then, you'd have to assume that they would have had more of the same threat if they would have been at full strength and with 11 men. I mean, it was nobody ever wants to go down to 10 men and, and not down to nine men although you know some people in the pub often do say oh we should have started with 10 we were better when we got the man sent off um but i do think getting a probably this might be harsh but i think it's accurate probably their their least effective midfielder and then a striker getting sent off it makes their defense the same and therefore they didn't really have to change that defensive structure at all so i think the result would have been different probably because the one-way traffic that it turned into in the last like 15-20 minutes of the game probably wouldn't have been the case and I think they'd have had more of a threat going the other way that's not to say that and would have potentially changed anything because I think you you were you know you were the home team and you were going for the and you and you should have been going for the win but I think you'd have probably had to been even a, a bit more wary of the counter-attack that would have come if they'd have had yeah 
full complement of people. I think it would have been different, but that's not to say that the result would have been different. But I think you would have had probably had to defend more chances on their side and maybe Vicario would have made a few more saves in the second half. Maybe the same number that he had to make in the first. It would have been a very different game, that's for sure. Whether the result would have changed, who knows? But I think in a weird way, we're almost better set up to play against a full strength team, right? As it, against a team that backs themselves because we'll counter punch. You know, we'll suck people in. We're very good against the press. We're good with space. You know, the minute mm. Liverpool went down to not 10, I think they actually, they didn't change that much when they went down to 10, but the minute they went down to nine, it was just right back to the wall. Everyone in the box. The and suddenly it was Sheffield United. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was Sheffield United all over again. And the only difference is Sheffield United were like that from minute one. I almost back us more against the big boys off the back of the last couple of games, which is stupid. And obviously doesn't make sense. But now, now I'm thinking, okay, we've got Luton next and we'll come and talk about them. They must be thinking, you know what, maybe if we just sit back for a while, we can hold Spurs off. But who it's knows? It's difficult though, that, Dice, because I don't think, you know, as much as Sheffield United did it at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, it's yeah. different doing it at your home ground. You know, even newly promoted teams, I don't think they would stand for that. I think, you know, we have this long conversation when we talked after the Sheffield United match earlier in the sense that, you know, what did the Sheffield fans expect they should expect better than that etc etc now chances are 90% of those Sheffield United fans couldn't have given to mm. what the result was they just wanted to have a really good day out because they're away fans and they love it but home fans is a different kettle yeah. of fish and I think and I think for that reason you know even if even if Rob Edwards had seen that game and gone oh yeah they could frustrate them I, I don't think they can for 90 minutes they have to attack yeah. they have to try and appease their fans and go on the offensive at least a few times and you know we'll talk about it later but I think that's when you'll be able to pick them off well look we'll, we'll get into all the details we'll, we'll look at all the individual incidents with a fine tooth comb as they say Elio are you feeling a, a touch of sympathy for poor downtrodden Liverpool the victims of this mass corruption of refereeing and, and the media and everyone pooling together to ensure that they don't succeed because that, that, that seems to be the impression that I'm getting in the wider footballing world at the moment <laughs> They, um, oh, absolutely. We, we I mean, feel very sorry for them. Paul, hard done by Liverpool. <laughs> absolutely traumatic experience for the lot of them, I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> God, imagine actually not getting the rub of a green from a referee and from the video assistant referee for once in however long it's been around. I mean, no, my heart absolutely bleeds for them, the entitled. <laughs> whiny pricks that they are I mean <laughs> let, let's talk about VAR for a second before we talk about VAR specific to Liverpool and Spurs let's talk about VAR for a second oh, Richarlison Richarlison offside by a sleeve versus Nottingham Forest I, I've never seen anyone score with their sleeve before but that was how he was denied <laughs> his first goal for the club Harry Kane had a goal disallowed away to Sheffield United in a match that we lost under Jose Mourinho because Lucas was shoved to the ground by their player and the ball ricocheted off his hands. We didn't get a free kick, though. The goal was just disallowed. Eric Dyer had a penalty given against him away to Newcastle for handball in a match where he wasn't even looking in that direction. He was facing the <laughs> other direction, got shoved in the back while in midair, and his arm in the air got hit by the ball. So last week, Enketia tried to murder the carrier he had tried to end his season and it wasn't even nothing happened whatsoever and this is before Does we VAR get to for attempted murder oh apparently not and this is before no. we get to liverpool we forget about robertson a few seasons back attempting to break jaffa tanganga's leg the most clear red card foul you'd ever see and absolutely nothing done about it Sissoko's armpit in the Champions League final that lost us what should have been the greatest day of our Spurs supporting lives within the first minute because it hit his f***ing 
fucking armpits. And let's not forget... You didn't even get to see it, Exactly. It happened uh, so quickly, you to, missed it. Thanks to Thomas Cook. And let's yep. not forget last season, <laughs> Diogo Jota trying to decapitate Oliver Skip and mm. not getting any kind of punishment for it before going on to score yep. the winner against us in the last minutes. So no, I have absolutely no sympathy whatsoever with Liverpool about this. Last season, when Jota tried to decapitate Oliver Skip, Ryan Mason, someone whose career was ended by a head injury, complained about it, said it was a clear red card. He has mm-hmm. no idea why it wasn't. And Klopp's response to the guy with the brain injury, Klopp's response was, Ryan has to worry about other stuff when asked if Jota should be sent off. They're a good football team, Tottenham. They have to play better football. They can't just counter-attack. They have to play better football with that team. Diogo Jota has the foot high, but he's not going for the heads. Well, Klopp, today you have to worry about other stuff, like the constant fouls to break up our play when we attack. Like not playing like Sheffield United with every red shirt camping in your own area all half. Like not relying on several save of the season contenders and some sloppy Spurs finishing to keep you contenders in the match. That's what you have to worry about, Jurgen Klopp. And that's Klopp, who was actually quite magnanimous after the game, but I'm still bitter about last season, so let me have my moment. <laughs> then you've got the Liverpool fans. Here's some select comments from Liverpool fans from the Tinterweb. It's such a Southern Tory-inspired club that reeks of corruption. Horrible decisions were arrived today. What? Oh, Tottenham, that well-known Tory constituency. Here's a history lesson to you. Here's a politics <laughs> lesson for you. Tottenham has been constantly Labour or Liberal since 1906, bar one year in the early 60s when Alan Brown defected from Labour to Independent to Conservative before losing the by-election to Labour's Norman Atkinson. And when the constituency had been split in two for 32 years, following on from 1918, four years in the early 30s <laughs> under Edwin Doran. So Labour and Tottenham are still Anonymous. Is there a chance whatsoever we get awarded the goal or the game gets replayed, says one happy-go-lucky Liverpool fan. Can we re- replay last season's match at Anfield then? A draw in that match puts us into Europe over Aston Villa. Another Liverpool fan. Has anyone started a government petition to investigate the Referees Association? I will sign that motherfucker with all my emails. Lots of time on your hands when you're still in primary school, I guess. You know, I've never subscribed to the full-blown conspiracy of everyone being against us, but this was blatant, says this Liverpool fan. They don't know the beast they have released inside us. They are going to regret it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so scared! I want Richarlison injured after putting a dozen past them. What is it about playing Tottenham? We get some absolute diabolical refereeing. Injuring Richarlison straight away. Just charming, aren't you? Another one. Richarlison may be a twat usually, but he wasn't the one acting as though they just won the Champions League. No, that honour belongs to Son. The smarmy, I'm such a nice guy. F- Heads. I hope we make the soft whack <laughs> cry when we play them at Anfield. Layoffs on. If you have to get to him, you have to get through me and every other Spurs fan first. You can't. The ref will have a statue <laughs> built in his honour outside the Spurs stadium. He's done more for them in one match than decades of players have. Marble will be fitting for his baldy, shiny, fraudulent head. I wonder if this guy realises that the ref had nothing to do with that and it was VAR that actually made the mistake. Can't expect much more from Liverpool fans, really. Can they declare the game null and void retrospectively? I refer back to my earlier comments, read Jota's attempted decapitation. <laughs> Madison saying this win showed Spurgeon's character. What character? Scrooge McDuck? Scrooge McDuck <laughs> talking about the Jewish-owned club feels a little bit like a tired anti-Semitic trope to me, Mr. Liverpool fan. And lastly, fuck off you, Simon Pooper. All right, that one was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, I'm about to send you a link to the BACP website, which is the British Association of Counselors and Psychotherapists. 
there's a lot of great therapists. It's like the yellow pages. You can find someone that helps with anger management issues, depression, anxiety, all sorts of I, stuff. I've already I been on the website. I already found my therapist. Thank you very much. She's doing a great job. I don't think he needs... <laughs> this is progress, Socks. <laughs> God help us all. There, there, are certain, there are certain moments in football where you just know that there's just one man that you wouldn't want anyone else in that situation. You know, the ball's played in behind one-on-one, bearing down on goal. You want Sonny on the end of that. Last minute in a Champions League final, ball's in the box. You need a hero from somewhere. You want Cristiano Ronaldo to get his head on it. You need somebody to go through the archives of all the time Spurs have been wronged in the history of the Premier League against Liverpool to counter-punch all the Liverpool fans claiming corruption. Elio is your man. I cannot think of anyone better. It's like you were born for this, Elio. Brilliant stuff. Are you not entertained? I am thoroughly entertained. That, that was almost as entertaining as the last minute winner. And very good points. And, and, and what I'll say, I suppose, in essentially repeating what you've just spent 10 minutes saying, another quote essentially to that effect from Nathan Clark from The Extra Inch. He says, uh, I would say overall, the grand multi-industry conspiracy to make Tottenham win things and prevent Liverpool from doing so has not gone too well so far this decade <laughs> or last. <laughs> Yeah. basically uh, all moving towards the same point. Um, I think this is probably the point where we bring Dave in, who is supposedly impartial, though there are rumours circulating in the Twitter sphere that he's actually a secret Claude Spurs fan. But anyway, Dave, I think it's fair to say that on this occasion, we probably had the rub of the green, as they say, in the refereeing and VAR decisions. What are your thoughts on the controversial incidents? There was only one. Yeah, yeah? is that that's your thought? There was just one that's, that you that, would deem that's... controversial? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean the goal, the goal yeah. that wasn't is just hilarious. I mean, we yeah. were on the on the WhatsApp chat. I think I was a little bit behind you on my Sky Go on my tablet because I was looking at it and saying, oh, "You guys are in trouble there." I don't think that's offside. And then suddenly I you're all like, ah, "Yeah, I told you it wasn't offside." I, I was saying, I, "I'm pretty sure that's onside, guys." But, yeah. it, but you were all chatting away as if the goal had not been given, and you yeah. were cracking on. And I was like. Hang on, what's about to happen now? And it yeah. didn't make any sense to me that it, 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 you know of all of all the VARs we've ever seen taking like five minutes to to really pull something apart. The fact yeah. that what I assumed had happened, and probably what everybody else has assumed happened, is that they'd looked at that and gone mm. within ten seconds. Yep, mm. that was offside. Crack on. Yep. <laughs> and then to come out at the end after the game to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, we actually thought you, you wanted us to check that it was onside and." He was on side, so we just said check complete. Is yeah, arguably one of the funniest things ever. To be honest, I mean, it doesn't really matter who it happens to. I'm not going to say these things iron themselves out because that's because that, well, it's probably true, but at the same time, it doesn't really make any Liverpool fans happier at the moment. And you guys are happy enough, but I think you know Klopp. I don't like Jurgen Klopp, but I think he said it well at the end of the game. He said we can't expect referees to get everything right on the pitch, but when we introduced VAR, we assumed that that would improve things. And mm. this is the absolute opposite of that. You know, it's a referee getting a margin call, an assistant referee getting a margin call wrong. And then VAR, through human error, completely mm. missing the point. Now, this brings me back to the whole point of what the hell are we doing with VAR? Why is there a human involvement? You know, it's 2023. We have semi-automated VAR that can just say, look, bat, bat, offside, bat, bat, onside. You know, it can do it quickly why aren't we doing that so that then we can be in a position to you know take out the human element of somebody who's not there going oh i think uh, i think the goal was given so i'm checking that it was on site mm. also since when do we check things on site whatever 
sorry, I'm rambling, but it blows my mind that we've managed to mess up technology by injecting <laughs> human error into it. And this is the perfect example of that, where it's just mm. it, basically lame brain humans have ruined what essentially was a good idea, which was VAR to check if an offside is offside. So as I understand it, they were offered at the beginning of the season to go for semi-automated offside decisions and the clubs, I think unanimously or almost unanimously, turned down that offer and wanted to keep the human involvement, which is pretty unbelievable considering the money involved mm. and i think my worry after this trying to think it's a football fan not a spurs fan here because a spurs fan i'm f- delighted and this defeat is <laughs> this win is actually sweeter than if there was no controversy uh it's, there's nothing like sort of a bit of jam in your favor to get you yep, going but yep. as a football fan my worry is that the one thing we thought we could rely on var for which was getting off sides right because goal line is the Hawkeye system anyway we don't even think we can rely on that now at least even if we didn't like the rules the rules were black and white and we thought they'd be applied correctly now that this very large chink in VAR's armour has been made there's going to be a mistrust and uproar about far less controversial decisions going forward and it's all we're ever going to bloody talk about like I don't want to go completely mad with this maybe it's just a case of yeah. now that it's out of the box we can't get it back in but if ever there was going to be a first be the step to the death of VAR this could mm. be it because this is pretty huge and yeah, we thought that before managers we thought that and so players we have, but this was a big one. And you're going to get managers and yeah. players completely justifying any remonstrations and any whinging and any conspiracy theories every single time VAR decision goes against them now. I didn't Possibly. realize that that was the case, Elliot, that the Premier League clubs had actually voted to not introduce semi-automatic yeah. um, offsides. That's blown my mind because I am probably the... Out of all of us, I'm the least likely to believe a conspiracy theory here. I think, I think, I think that's probably safe to say, especially yeah. in terms of football. Well, because you don't support Spurs, probably because I don't support Spurs. Yeah. Um, uh, although that conspiracy to get you keep winning trophies is doing really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But why would you not vote for that if it means that it's going to be more accurate? Unless there is a hidden mm. agenda that means that certain clubs get more favourable decisions. I, I don't understand that. I, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that back in June, so a few months ago now, the headline was the Premier League has decided against introducing semi-automated VR tech that was used successfully at the World Cup in Qatar, but will introduce additional cameras instead. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can't... Signed a, signed a good contract with the camera companies. They well, want a scapegoat. Yeah, they right. want someone to point a finger at. They want a human face to say, you, you're the one who screwed us. They don't want to point at a machine or a collection of machines. They want somebody to blame and point the finger at. That must be... And let's be way. honest, controversy and uproar sells the product much it better than everybody does. sitting in a little jerk circle being happy. <laughs> The worst thing is, it was actually a really good goal. That's the funny thing. It was a great pass. It was a lovely finish. I mean, if it was anyone else who wasn't Liverpool, wasn't against Spurs, I'd be saying, oh, what a shame for football, because what a lovely finish. And he deserved the goal. But as it happens, screw him and let's move on. To the next controversial decision, right? Shall we? Shall no, we go to the next one? Because it was, was it. only, that was the only one. Uh, okay, all right. Well, but let, let's call it contentious at least, because I think there wasn't necessarily a unanimous agreement on the red card for Curtis Jones. It was one of those that you see given, you see not given. It kind of changed the game. Obviously, it was a very early on. It was a straight red. VAR sent the ref to the screen. So, what was your opinion on this? Because I can't remember if you thought this was a harsh red. I feel like you did. Yeah, my, I was fairly stern in the WhatsApp group when it happened in real time yeah. thinking that I thought it was harsh and probably wasn't a red. I've seen it back a hundred times since and I've mm. I've softened on it a bit in the sense that 
I do think it's a red, but I do think it's a harsh one. And one of the main things that swayed my mind was that Malo Gusto last week for Chelsea got sent off for something very, very similar. So I think it's one of those instances where I'm not really a fan of the rule, but I want the rule as it stands to be applied yeah. consistently. Yeah. And I think looking at the incident, he doesn't go that massively over the ball. He's not going in so recklessly. It's not as if he's like going in at 100 miles an hour. I, I, I didn't sh- like he's lunging for a ball. So he's not got full control in that respect because he's kind of at full stretch and you never will have full control at full stretch. But at the same time, if the ball is slightly drier than it is and he doesn't slip off of it, he doesn't have the angle that then goes into the lower leg of Basuma. And that, obviously that freeze frame looks horrible and this because it is horrible. Yeah. But I do think it was a slightly harsh one. I mean, I, I know the sort of old stereotype is to say orange and I guess I've settled somewhere on orange. But it's one of those where look, I'm, I'm not going to turn it down or whatever. And I don't think it's something that will be reversed upon appeal. But I do think it was on the slightly harsher side of red, but a red yeah. all the same. It feels like a kind of strict liability matter, doesn't it, in a way? It's one of those where I don't think anyone's saying, oh, Curtis Jones is a horrible bastard. He was going out to hurt him or he was yeah. madly out of control. It's one of those where it's just a few boxes are ticked. Computer says no. And it's just it has to be a red because it satisfies certain criteria. Just like how Romero didn't mean to handball it last week. But by the letter of the law, the law that none of us really agree with, but we have to accept is there. That was a penalty. This was a red card in the same way, I think. I think you're both being too kind. I don't think this is just <laughs> sure. the rules are applied in the right way and therefore by the letter of the law he has to go. I think no intent whatsoever. And in that sense, he's unfortunate. I don't think he meant to mm. cause any damage. But the second you lead with your studs showing in a tackle, you are risking severely. In- yeah. I mean, I'm not sure he ball- did. Before His studs are showing before his foot touches the ball, not after. His foot is flat towards mm. the ball and the player's leg. So the second you lead with your... And also, who actually kicks a ball with their studs as opposed to the sides or the top of their boots? The second you lead with your studs, intention to hurt or not, you're risking a leg break. The second you lead with your studs, you're risking the very worst. Mm. And the fact that Bissouma's leg didn't break is a blessing. It doesn't mean Jones is a vicious, nasty player. It means that he misjudged or what's the phrase they use? Out of control. It was out of control. And Mm. I think the very first priority in every match above anything else is the safety of the guys on the pitch. So as far as I'm concerned... If he's led with his studs, which to my eye he did, and that's in real time. Obviously, I've seen it on TV since because I was at the game, so I didn't sort of really know what was going on until I saw the VAR yeah. check. If he's yeah. leading with his studs, then it's a red card. In the same way that last week, Enkete mm. should have been sent off despite the fact that he didn't make yeah. severe contact that was with worse, the in my opinion. I think that was yeah, worse, that even was though the worse. outcome wasn't as bad, even though the impact, well, there wasn't impact. If what we're saying is Jones is unlucky, what Jones is unlucky about is that he made contact with Basuma. Because if he hadn't, mm. then it wouldn't have ever been looked at and we'd been on the wider and the game would have continued. But he did make contact, which draws attention to the fact that he led with his studs. Had to go. Mm. I, I think that's a red card in any era, personally. Well, as beautiful as the justice is that both of those decisions went against Liverpool in quick succession, the most annoying thing about it is that it's taken away the attention from what was actually a pretty good game of football, I think. Yeah, certainly up until that point, but I think in some way for the whole game. And it was rammed home a few minutes later by our goal that gave us the lead that was allowed, scored by Son, of course, which I I think was a, a beautifully worked move. So I think it's it's a good half an hour into the podcast now. It's probably about time we started talking about how wonderful Spurs are on the ball. What did you guys make of that goal? Beautiful pass from Madison, very composed oh, from Richarlison, and Son's timing was impeccable. I mean, nothing else to say. It's a perfect goal. Lovely finish. 
deft you know you know if it if it had got a full foot on that there's every chance that Allison might have saved it tappens yeah. are sometimes the most beautiful goals because usually they require that level of in sync team play to get that result yeah. and we talk about familiarity a lot on this podcast and how that's going to improve us and that's why certain teams are ahead of us in their projects well that was the result of familiarity it was also the result i think and i think you'll remember four or five episodes ago i mentioned that i see this a potential solution to what to do with son and richarlison i think it was a good result of having Mm. Son is the central guy and Richarlison as the wide guy because yeah. I think the other way around that goal probably doesn't happen absolutely no well said and uh, I think the ball from Madison didn't really shock anyone in that we know he's capable of that and we've seen a few passes like that not just for us but for Leicester as well but nonetheless take nothing away from it beautifully weighted through ball Richarlison getting involved and making assist looking up and playing that ball in Son and finding that position as well I think is really encouraging because I think he's been hit and miss this season and we've talked about him quite a lot and of course he's played a few games in the middle probably not going to play there much anymore until or unless Son comes off and he played on the left Socks where is that left you feeling about him are you now thinking that he should be more often than not you want to see him playing on the left do you think he is capable of doing a good job there I know he was up against a kind of makeshift right back in Joe Gomez who's perhaps not the most difficult test there he had a bit more space than usual but what are your thoughts on Richardson at this time I mean I've always backed him to be honest he's been one that I, I think will come good and I've said it sort of throughout his sort of worst periods yeah. this hasn't changed my mind so much I mean I'm happy that he's getting back into some sort of form because I think his all-round performance was pretty decent as well. I think in terms of him playing on the left, I'm not convinced yet that it's anything other than him filling in for Brennan Johnson, who probably would have started there were he not sort of nursing a tight hamstring. But if you speak to Everton fans, or at least see what Everton fans say about him down the years, a lot of them will say that that his best performances came off of the left as opposed to as a number nine. So there's Mm. nothing to suggest that he can't be a great player out on the left wing for us. But to be honest, I don't think it's that prescriptive. I mean, you have a player that can play in two different positions depending on the opponent depending on fitness depending on injuries we will play him in those positions it's no different to you know you asking me well are we going to play Brian Johnson on the left or on the right or Son on the left or up top the answer is always going to be it depends as long as they're playing well which I think Richarlison is and I'm happy that he is slowly gaining his confidence back like I think he's got what the goal against Fulham the goal against Sheffield United and a couple of assists in his first sort of six or seven games now He's already well ahead of where he was last season, even though at the beginning of last season, I actually thought he was playing a lot better than what he is now. Mm. But just in terms of getting his mm. confidence back up to get any kind of goal, any kind of assist, he'll take it, we'll take it. And I, I think the issue with him now is, is he going to get consistent minutes? Because injury aside, he's not displacing Son at the number nine. If Brennan Johnson is back fit next week, is Richarlison going to be the one that starts over him or not? And I think that's the issue with him is that there are going to be a lot of games where he'll be coming off the bench, especially without Europe and no Carabao Cup and mm-hmm. one game a week until January. That from his perspective, you're almost waiting for an injury for him to get any kind of extended run in the team. So how much form can you build up if you're playing 20 or 30 minutes a week? I think that will be the difficulty for him. Yeah, I think for Richarlison, the reason why in this system going down the left may mitigate his weaknesses a bit and play to his strengths is that one, he seems a lot more composed in terms of holding the ball and playing into someone else than he is when he's the one with the opportunity to score at the moment anyway. And that might just be a confidence thing, but the loss of composure happens when he's presented with a chance rather than when he's got the opportunity to play someone else. And two, we always said Son sort of as a winger in this system, standing people up and beating them doesn't play to his natural game because he's far better sort of running in behind. Whereas Richarlison, even if he's not like super gracefully skillful, he does have some skill, but he's also very strong and much like Kulisevsky is probably able to use that strength to his benefit to peg back fullback 
works in a way that Son isn't really able to. So from the pressing perspective mm-hmm. and from the having that individual one-on-one battle perspective, it suits what he does bring to the table a little bit more as well. I'm not saying this is going to be the long-term solution, but I can see why we've tried it and I can see it sort of continuing to be a thing for a little while yet. In terms of the overall system, I think we just look a little bit more fluid and a little bit more in tune when Son's in the middle rather than left. And I think if we're calling Son sort of our talisman and our de facto best player now that Kane's gone, then I think he's going to be far better in this system than he is off the left. And maybe much like with Kane, maybe a system that feeds into Son's strengths is actually going to be better for the team as a whole at the moment because he is clearly the best finisher and best goal scorer we have. It sounds counterintuitive to say this about any good player in your team, but Son almost has better performances when he doesn't get on the ball much. He doesn't have that many touches. A bit like yeah. Harlan, I suppose, you know, in that way. A bit like Harlan, um, a bit and, like Defoe used to be, a bit like yeah. Robert Keane used to be as well. Like far better yeah. sort of being an instinctive player rather than someone who is getting on the ball constantly and having to think constantly. He's not Harry Kane and he doesn't need to be. I mean, no. I, I don't think Andy Cole ever had many touches of the ball in a Man United shirt either, but he scored a fuckload of the goals. Yeah, I think most people probably agree that Son down the middle when everyone's fit in most games is going to be the way to go. You want him going in behind. But I think to be fair to Son, when he did have the ball in this game, and maybe this is just me, but I don't know if anyone else has noticed, his close control and his first touch seems to be getting better. I don't know if that's just a confidence thing or whatever, but I know in the past there have been a few times where the ball's been played into his feet and he's had a heavy touch and he's not really done much with it. But I feel like Ange Ball is starting to click in his mind and he's starting to contribute to the attacking movement a bit more. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a case with him though being 31. Can you teach an old new tricks and the answer is probably to a limited amount but I don't think you're going to see a revolutionary change in his game at this age other than that it will be some more kind of minuscule minute stuff but at the same time again I hate running out cliches but game of fine margins if he improves by five percent or ten percent that's an extra goal an extra goals an extra three points whatever it might be so yeah, yeah but i don't think yeah. i don't i'm not expecting by the end of the season for him to have the first touch of like andres iniesta or something i think he's still going to be the mostly the same son <laughs> that we know and love fair enough uh dave we talked about son we talked about richarlison obviously we've got a couple more uh, incidents to get through but while we're on just individual performers it's one of those games for me where you could pick out several there are lots we, we played well a lot of our players played well but anyone in particular that you thought still out that you want to talk about from the Spurs side? Um, I don't think so. Although it was an interesting bit. I think uh, Postacoglu had an interview at the end of the game on Sky and he was talking about Kulisevsky and he was talking about Kulisevsky's tendency to drift inside and onto his left foot uh, on mm. the right-hand side and the importance and how much they've been working on mm-hmm. Poro to run the overlap so that he could be in the position where he was. Yeah to then, to then get the uh, a from. ball into the box. And that's obviously where the, the winning goal came from. And I think yeah. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of banging the ball straight across the goal because that kind of feels like a bit of a inject chaos and see what happens. It's kind of a long throw kind of thing, yeah. but slightly more technical. But it works. And I can understand why people do it because you're playing the percentages. But I think the fact that, that that's really interesting, that, that kind of insight that you don't normally get from managers because they're usually just you know a PR machine who just blurts out stuff but everybody loves Ange because of the fact that he's not that and you can actually have a conversation with him and you feel like you know you're not talking to a robot who just spits out the same old same old but the fact that he admitted you know we know that Kulisevsky favors on coming into, onto his left foot and we've been working on the fact that we've been getting that overlap going so that we can create opportunities like we created and then we finally get there and we get and we get the goal and we win the game because of it mm. so 
well, that's great. And and so it's not necessarily a shout out to any of those three people in that conversation, but I think, you know, and being able to have those conversations and do that training with the team, Kulisevsky being able to play through strength and Poro being the guy that could put that crossing at the end. It's three ticks from coaching 101 manual, Pashta Kogli. Yeah. So I think Poro was exceptional. I thought this was he his best took the game words out of my mouth. Yeah. Defensively and going forward, that one turn he did, which obviously they were playing over and over, I thought he was absolutely brilliant so he'd get mine van der ven was absolutely integral to our defensive efforts again even though he was done for the offside not offside goal but other than that he was really really superb mm. i think papamata Sar had a very yeah. good game i thought he was nicking the ball high game. up he was i really really enjoyed watching him play and yeah the man you just mentioned i wax lyrical about him all the time kulisevsky was once again the guy who kept liverpool pegs back who kept driving us forward at all times he had two or three men on him at a time it was ridiculous they targeted him and were still not stopping him and yeah he may be a bit mm. indecisive at the moment in terms of delivering but the way he's scaring the shit out of opposition defenders right now like he is first name on the team sheet out of our attackers in my opinion I feel like out of the three midfielders if you look at Madison Basuma and Salah Saar I think you immediately think of him as the least glamorous as the least flair player of the three but in this game his confidence kind of stepped up a bit he was play- he was doing the little flicks he was doing the one-twos with Basuma he was just as much involved in the moves as anything and I think at times it was overshadowed by all the controversy and all the big decisions the red cards and stuff but I think there were moments in that game where we played some absolutely beautiful beautiful stuff in midfield like as good as we've seen all season a bit like Benton Corsar just seems composed at all times and mm. he's doing that role 20? really really well 2021 20, 20, and just 10, 21. incredible he, yeah. he's just doing that so so well and I think that's actually a telling thing with the majority of our players at the moment including Richarlison as long as he's not much mm. on score they are just composed constantly. They're not fluttered. They're playing their game. They're making sure that they play at their pace and mistakes come with it because they're still not a well-oiled machine. But that composure is half the battle when you want to try and play this way because it's the ability to take the deep breath while the ball's coming towards you and then recycle it and use it very quickly the moment it's with you. And that's what they're all doing exceptionally well at the moment. And yeah, Madison may not have had his best game for us so far, but he still played a few absolute perlers in terms of his passes, including for the first goal. And I just... just It's hard to really overly elevate any one of them at the moment because I actually think as a collective, they're playing so well, so ahead of schedule. Apologies if anyone mentioned him and I missed it, but I was going to give a shout out to Adogi just because we spoke about him after the Mm. Sheffield United game and said he's about to face the two best wingers in the league on his side in Saka and Salah. He got booked very early on in both of them, this one unfairly because he nicked the ball and had to spend the rest of the game on a yellow card against the best winger in the world in his position for the past six years. And there were, it's not that Salah wasn't threatening, but there were times where he made him look like Kaiser Soja, the usual yeah. suspect. It was like, <laughs> just vanished into thin air or whatever. He scared to the point him where, off the other end of the pitch. Well, after yeah, the red card, when they had to put Salah up front on his own, Salah was drifting exactly over that. the other side. He was scared of a dog. He's like, I'm going to try my luck against Pedro Porro instead, because this, this kid is dominating me. That's exactly right. There was the, the chance that Luis Diaz slid and just about missed, or I think hit wide at the end of the first half, came from Salah crossing that ball from Pedro Parra's side. So I think for me, it's the... I think one of us said it in the chat, maybe, on WhatsApp, like I'd sub him off or something like that because he was on a yellow card. I can't remember who it was because we're so nervous naturally yeah, when he's playing up against Salah. It was uh, earlier, and yeah. I, felt, I felt the exact same thing against Saka last week. I was like, take him off, just bring Ben Davis on. 
and then for him mm. to see up the rest of the game, like you would have thought if someone told you you got Saka and Salah for an hour each attacking a left back consistently on a yellow card yeah. across two different Five games. Five games into his Premier League career, mm. yeah. 20 years exactly. old. Exactly, as a 20 years old. Yeah. And he not only does he not get sent off, we're not exactly conceding chances down that side. So like, it doesn't feel like he does anything outstanding or exceptional. But to me, it's almost like the, and I'm not comparing him in the slightest here, but it's almost like the Ledley King effect where... Sometimes when a player is that calm and that composed, it almost kind of goes under the radar because it ends up becoming yeah. a standard thing. And it's only when you put another player in that position that isn't as good, you almost take for granted how calm yeah. and composed he is because the kind of f- up didn't happen. So, yeah, I don't think yeah. he was man of the match or anything like that, but I'd definitely give him a shout out. I wouldn't say he's not man of the match. I thought he was outstanding. I-, I feel like in a few years, if he reaches the heights that we all think he can do, and if he becomes, you know, a Spurs legend and one of the best left backs in the league, as we all think he has the capacity to, we'll look back at these two games and we'll talk about them. We remember that the games that made him, the games that we all, everyone stood up and said, hey, who's this kid who's just absolutely bossed it with, okay, maybe it's harsh to say bossed it when Saka scored two goals, but still, you know, he, he held his own and <laughs> then some against pretty much the two best right wingers in the, in the league, if not the world. You mentioned Madison. I found Madison's involvement quite interesting. In fact, in both the last two games, it's almost like he's sacrificing. He's been quite unselfish in dropping a lot deeper than he has done in any of the games beforehand. And he's almost forming a second pivot in build-up to the detriment of kind of the Hollywood aspects of it. He's not getting involved in the final third as much, which looks very deliberate. You know, the same stuff that we used to kind of occasionally bemoan Harry Kane for doing a bit too much. But because we've got so much talent going forward elsewhere, it's almost like we don't need him in that final third. But has anyone else noticed the slight difference in the way Madison's been playing the last couple of games? I think it's because of the quality of the opposition, because what you've got are two really good teams who are marking him, which means he has to drop a hell of a lot deeper to find space. And the teams know that too, because if you remember last week when he lost the ball inside our area, it's because Jesus pressed him. So they're setting traps for him constantly. It's like, if you stand here, we're going to get Declan Rice to mark you. And if you drop deeper, we're going to get so-and-so to mark Mm. you. I don't think it's a deliberate change in his game as much as it is you're facing better quality opposition. So you're forcing him to kind of roam around to pick up the ball in deeper areas. But it is also something, I mean, if you think of the brilliantly well-worked goal that we scored against, Burnley I think it was that was absolutely outstanding I can't remember if it was the fourth or the fifth one Madison picks up that ball and lays off the pass to Porro from I think it's just inside her own half so it's not mm. a massively new thing in the first handful of games so he has done it but I think when you come up against better teams they are going to force you to be a little bit uncomfortable then I mean Liverpool I'm just going to say allow Madison to pick up the ball 35 yards from goal turn on a sixpence and play whichever kind of pass he wanted but at the same time it shows the quality that he has that he's able to drop deep and still find a killer pass I mean, they did that do that for goal. the first goal didn't they um, yeah. well, well yeah, yeah. I just mm. I, the thi- I've actually been getting frustrated every time they show our lineup and seeing it listed as a 4-2-3-1 with Saren yeah, Basuma as a double pivot because it's not been that once and if you look at all our heat maps mm. this season Saren and Madison aren't particularly different in their sort of vertical position on the pitch I think it has been a 4-3-3 all season and maybe Madison's dropped a bit deeper in these last couple of games but as far as I'm concerned he's been playing as a central midfielder as a Modric as a Cruz as an Iniesta he's not been playing as a number 10 at all I I don't think we've been playing with a number 10 not once so I think they've got this sort of assumption about him based on how Leicester used him which is actually quite incorrect and he's he's playing yeah. the same role that Gareth Southgate refuses to play Foden for for England and seemingly <laughs> refuses to play Madison in as well given that he put him in the left last time like he's very much playing as one of three midfielders in my opinion let's not get talking about Gareth Southgate we're going to get dragged into a black hole just like we do with VAR speaking of black holes very quick shout out to Gary Neville you continue to be an absolute cockwomble everything you've said about the match is wrong and I have no idea why you are paid to use up airtime to talk about football. It's because he can make those noises. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not really sure where black holes comes into that, Elio. That was that was a strange segue, but that was a black hole between his ears. Oh, there you go. That's good. Okay, I'll, I, you recovered it. You brought it back. A couple more incidents. I mean, well, there's quite a few incidents really. We had a few chances. There were obviously a few little nice passages of play. There was a penalty shot for Kudasevsky, which went under the radar. I actually the only reason I think it probably wasn't a penalty is because no one seemed to claim for it. But I actually in real time thought he got tripped in the box. Did anyone else think that? If no. you didn't think it was a penalty, then I'm going to move right past it. It was other side of the pitch for me. My gut was, okay, they've not given it because he might have gone down a bit easy or something like that. But, okay. um, yeah. I mean, it looked like there was no contact with ball and contact with him. So one of those I've seen them given maybe. But as far as I'm concerned, in a game that we were desperately trying to win, the fact that our players didn't claim for it probably speaks Yeah, that's volumes. what I thought. That's, that's what I thought. Anyway, we'll move past that. Let's go to the other refereeing decision that has got people talking. We'll come back to our in-house referee, our Peter Walton on the sidelines there, Dave, um, for an impartial analysis of, well, I want to say both the Jota Yellows, but there was also another one that he, I would say, got away with. But on balance, do you think that Diogo Jota should have had two yellow cards amounting to a, a red and been sent off the pitch? So... I haven't seen the first yellow, so I don't know. But but okay, I would, that's I the would, most contentious one. Well, I, well, I, I, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what you guys think. But I would comment on the fact that the second yellow card is an absolute yellow card, and if you're on a yellow yeah. card, you're an idiot. It's a stupid challenge to make when you're on a yellow, whether you exactly. should be on one or not. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you think of the first yellow? So, I actually wrote down every single decision that I thought the referee went wrong to kind of whack him out <laughs> in sort of one thing. So, this is every. I'm okay. not going to go on for too long. Don't worry. I'm not doing a 10 minute Elio monologue where I need to see the therapist <laughs> right after. It, it, should be, it should be more succinct. So, for the Udogi won the ball before the free kick that Liverpool had, that Diaz had the chance from where he scored the goal, and the goal itself was obviously wrongly disallowed. So that was the first mm. mistake, and that's what led to the Udogi booking. So the goal should never have been allowed to have happened because the free kick should never have been given. There was a decision that nobody's talking about, which I thought was the most controversial decision in the whole game. <laughs> it was when Basuma shepherded Salah out of the away end. Salah wins the ball back for him completely cleanly. There was nothing on it, and he's about to run into the area and square it for a tap-in. And he pulls it up for a free kick. I think there was a little bit of an arm from Salah on Bishop. You're looking at me stunned because this is as if it never happened. I promise I'm not making it up. I remember, <laughs> the, I remember the incident. I remember the incident because... Um, absolutely ridiculous. He was going to score He won the ball back and then Salah won it right back off him, didn't he? Exactly that. Exactly. Players that was shepherding whole, yeah. the ball out always get away with that. In the fullback position, yeah. Plotto used to do it all the time. Tariko used to do it all the time. Yeah, shepherding 100%. the ball out. It just, it's just yeah. one of those weird things in football where the defender always gets the benefit of the doubt. A bit like how goalkeepers yeah. are protected. You into the attacker you fall down with your hands on the ball and hold on to it and yeah, you just yeah, think yeah. Oh, they're not they're not going to now to give this as a handball they're going to give me the benefit of the doubt because i'm the defender and it's out on the wing yeah yeah I, I actually case. now that you say that looking back on it that one did go a little bit unceremoniously yeah. didn't it well there was that there was the curtis jones red card we've discussed so the jota one yeah he should initially have had a yellow very quickly after coming on it didn't get given presumably because it was his first challenge but it was still a yellow hard challenge the yellow that he then got i thought was harsh and probably wasn't a yellow card because I don't think there was really that much contact even if there was because mm. I think maybe Adogi's running ahead of him and I think the back of his heel clips on Jota's knee so it's not that there was no contact but I don't think uh, contact slight. doesn't necessarily yeah. mean foul so I don't Udogi think that was a yellow himself card over as much as anything else on that one yeah, yeah I thought so I thought but so. then the yellow that he did get the second one was a fair yellow so either way effectively there were three decisions 
And between those, there was enough to make up for the two yellow cards that he got. So, I, th- I mean, look, even Jurgen Klopp was complaining about that one. I think if you're a manager, you're more pissed off that you're playing. Look, we just sat here praising Destiny Odergi for managing to go an hour without getting sent off against Mo Salah after being unfairly put in a yellow card. I think if yeah. you're Jurgen Klopp, you need to take the same attitude. If you, and if you've got that sort of winning mentality, which he does, you've got to take that yeah. same attitude. And then another thing that the referee missed was when Destiny Odergi got fouled, for the incident that ended up sending Jota off, he then called for the yellow card, which by the new laws of this season should have been his second yellow to get sent mm. off. Although that having been said, he never should have been yellow carded for the first one because <laughs> it was never a foul. So effectively, this is whole the, this whole game is two wrongs making rights. That's this entire game where yeah. I'm not entirely sure if it's evened itself out or not, but. That's the sort of yeah. theme of this whole thing. Absolute sh- show from start to finish. Oh, and let's not God. forget that Diogo Jota himself decided to plant his studs into the face of Oliver Skip not that long ago. So ultimately, it's all karma, and he deserved a red card one way or another anyway, didn't he? So that's the VAR section. <laughs> Something like that. I want to talk about the last, I guess, 15 minutes, basically the period of time in which Liverpool fully parked the bus and we had to approach things a little bit differently. Obviously, we got the goal in the end, but um, Andrew was quite critical after the game about the fact that we didn't really seem to do very well in that situation which is understandable and obviously you know you can say the same thing about Sheffield United um Elio what did you make of our approach in trying to break down the big red bus in front of the Liverpool goal for that last 20 minutes um, there was a lot of you passing in terms of you get the ball yeah, high up on the right car break yeah horseshoeing whatever yeah. you want to call it and and it can be a bit frustrating to watch as a fan, but I think it's something that whenever you're a team that's got most of the ball for every reason, whether it's because the other team are down or whether it's because you're up against the Sheffield United who don't have the players to match you toe-for-toe or whatever the situation is, it's something that you just have to accept is going to happen and you need to find a solution. And the solution to getting it through that situation usually involves a slight plan B to what your plan A is. It could be Mm. taking more shots from outside the box and hoping one of them is unstoppable. Very difficult against a goalkeeper like Alisson, who made two world-class saves in this match already. Or it's getting on some kind of target man and putting in high balls and deep crosses into the box, like we used to do when we had Lorente. Which we don't have which we don't have. That can work. Richarlison is meant to be sort of our plan B option in terms of physicality. We took Son off movement, Richarlison into the middle and put Solomon on the left and neither were that effective in that role. And then we brought on Valise and put Richarlison back out wide again and had Valise in the middle. Uh, he would have actually scored the goal if it hadn't come off Matip anyway. It was going straight mm. to him at far post open goal territory. So option number three is what Dave mentioned earlier. That's low percentage, hit it as hard across the box to cause chaos yeah. as you can and hope for the best. And that's what happened in the end. It, mm. it it did do that. And ultimately, when you're in the 96th minute of 96 in the match and you haven't broken them down through your plan A yet, that's kind of what you got to do. So yeah. I, I'm not too disheartened by the fact that we struggled to break down eight world-class players in Liverpool's penalty area. I don't think many teams would. Maybe Manchester City, maybe 2010's Barcelona, maybe 1970 Brazil. That's about it. 
And as we all know, we sit at the same table as those teams, as you've mentioned a few times, Elio. I think Klopp does deserve some credit, to be fair. I think he actually did quite well with what he had to work of with in the circumstances. He of, a, um, of he's a top-class manager. He is, yeah. yeah. It's not exactly surprising, but it was quite frustrating. I think it was the only time you really heard a bit of a, a murmur from the crowd, a bit of a rumble of frustration when we were just horseshoeing around the box. And, and just we, we seemed to just not learn that if you put crosses, high crosses into Richarlison when you've got Van Dijk, Matip and Konate in the box heading everything away every single time it's not going to work and yeah thankfully they, they switched things up just in time and we got we got the winner and that's left us looking quite rosy we're second in the league we are unbeaten one of only two unbeaten teams in the league as I mentioned earlier the other of course being those bastards down the road Arsenal and <laughs> our next game is, is a game that a, a cynical Spurs fan that's seen too much over the years might think would be a classic one for us to throw away uh, potential banana skin as they say Dave, what can you tell us about the conquerors of Everton, the mighty Luton Town in their first season up in the Premier League? And do Spurs have anything to worry about? Do you remember that really in-depth analysis of Bournemouth that I did? Well, you used a, it up for the season well, now. Well, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> did you forget that you had this bit to do? No, no, I did. I just couldn't find anything interesting. Yeah. Apparently, they've got a really small ground and apparently you have to get in. We can in. talk about the entrances of the stadium if you want. Uh, in, anywhere, yeah. Anybody going to the game? Because you get to go through the away end, which is really exciting because it's some old woman's <laughs> Through house. someone's garden, isn't it? You have to go through yeah. someone's washing or something. <laughs> anyway, all I would say is that they beat Everton at Goodison this weekend, which I think is a good thing because I think that's the monkey off the back. And I think that might mean that, quite frankly, what I mentioned earlier, that might play with a little bit more abandon and I might want to you know, try and be a bit more brash and out there for, for their fans at Kenilworth Road, which might mean that they can get picked off a little bit more easily. They have a centre-back who I'm fascinated by, a chap called Tom mm. Lockyer. He scored, actually, one of the goals at the weekend. He's a 28-year-old Welshman. And he is, he just comes across as an absolute, he's not a, cl- a one club man because he started, at, he, he's Welsh and Luton isn't in Wales and, <laughs> and he played for Bristol and Charlton, but he's got great hair. He's got a rugged beard. He's a centre back who scores goals and he's a captain. And he's as good as socks hair. And, and I don't, I don't, it's, 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 it's on a level, it's on a level, um, uh, but uh he uh, poor he, listeners can't see. He actually hair, collapsed. He actually collapsed during the uh, the playoff final last year. Okay. He was yes, taken to course, hospital yeah. and celebrated them getting promoted in a hospital bed. So okay. he's the definition of like cult hero, yeah. actual hero, legend yeah. of the club. So I'm very confident that you're going to beat Luton next week. I'm not going to say more than that because I don't want to jinx it for you, but. I do want Tom Lockyer to do well because I feel like I feel like he's the kind of person I can get behind. I feel like he's the kind of person that if he signed for Leeds, I'd be happy. <laughs> Did we not have one of our centre bats get up and score a header with a concussion and then, you know, have to be dragged off the pitch? Our, one of our very own come on, Romero is just as much of a hero, okay? Just yeah, because he doesn't got, play got, for a newly promoted You've, got the, you've got the corrupt EFL and PGMOL on your well, side. We you do, can't lose. We do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sky's the limit. Yeah, and on that note. I'm not going to try and sway Sox into letting himself dream of bigger and better things for Spurs this season because I, I feel like he's going to stop coming on the show if I keep on going down that road. But Elio likes to believe. Elio, I know that you are you're partial to a little bit of dreaming, aren't you? I know at the beginning of the season you were thinking maybe fourth. Is there any small part of you, the kind of the innocent child still within, that is thinking if a few things click, if other teams keep dropping points like Manchester City have just done, is there a chance that we can aim for something a bit higher than just fourth place? Like third. All I'm going to all I'm going to say is that the way <laughs> things have started, I'm now 
at the point where I'm going to stop commenting on such things because my superstition mm. started kicking in. And well, therefore that, that tells me all I need to know. That, all that tells me all I need to know. <laughs> that is all I'm going to say. You've answered a lot more than you think you no, have no, in, in saying all that. All I'm saying is that I'm saying nothing. That being said, I know I joke and I know I've, I keep on uh, going down this road and it is time to speak, I'm um, in trouble. If, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I speak. The, the truth is... The, the same is true now as was at the beginning of the season. I actually, look, if it gets to March and we're up there, then yeah, obviously I'll start thinking about it. But I don't actually care. I just, I'm really enjoying watching us play mm-hmm. each game one at a time. I know it's the biggest cliche in football, one game at a time, but I just can't wait to watch the next game. And I can't wait to watch the next game after that. I want us to win each of them, but... The league table almost doesn't matter. I didn't even look after the game. Normally after a Spurs match, I go straight to the league table and I'm like, oh, where are we? How are we doing? But it's it's almost irrelevant now. Unfortunately, I have gone there and we are away <laughs> for Luton next Saturday and next Sunday, yeah. Arsenal and Manchester City are playing each other. Do the match. Oh, here we go. I think, I think one go. of the things that I would say is that a lot of fans say, Arsenal and, I think, win that, by and the way. I think it's the right thing to say, which is why bother looking at the league table until you're 10, 12 games in? Yeah. And I think for the championship, it's even more so, you know, because obviously there's more games there. So I'm not paying attention to the league either at the moment. But I would say when it's going really well for you, it's very difficult not to look at that league table. So well done for not looking at it, because if I were you, I'd be I'd be going out for dinner on that. Well, Dave, <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that because we are, what, seven games in now? So you're saying don't look until you're 10 games in. Our next three are, as we've said, Luton, then Fulham at home, then Crystal Palace away. And then we're playing Chelsea at home. God knows who their manager will that's be. That's the by easiest then, of the four games. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, that's the one I'd be most confident of out of those four, I think. I would not bet against, obviously, I'm not putting my money anywhere near any bookies earlier. You can relax. But I would not bet against, hypothetically, us being oh, in a very it. strong position in the league. No, no, in a very strong position in the league by the time we, uh, we beat Chelsea on the 6th of November so let's see where it goes anyway enough of that yeah enough of that we'll have plenty more weeks to start dreaming and you guys trying to drag me down one thing I will say by the way just because Dave was unable to come up with anything interesting about upcoming opposition (laughs) Uh, I just gave you the life and times of Tom Lockyer you arsehole he gave us a charming tale (laughs) of a club hero the guy watched them get promoted from a hospital bed what does it take to impress you Elia the only two people that I know that link us to Luton Town are are David Pleat, obviously, and one Gary Doherty of Ginger Pele persuasion. Oh, wow. Ginger Pele. The Ginger Pele himself. The man who gave us the lead against Arsenal in so that semi final at Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Cool. <laughs> I, I actually think Dave's input was more interesting, Ellie. I'm very sorry to say. <laughs> anyway. I think that's more or less everything we need to cover. I, I know we haven't gone over every single one of our players and talked about how brilliant they are, but Pretty I think sure we did. We almost did. We almost did. I mean, we could we could have done a couple more, but I think it's fair to say every player played well. Good result. Lovely to see Liverpool in pain and bring on Luton next week. While we're here, a little bit of the usual housekeeping. Um, of course, please go and follow us on Twitter where you can see various gems like Elio and me getting into fights with Liverpool fans. You can see me getting into trouble with the Premier League by naming my FPL team with offensive names and being told I have to change it. For those wondering, my team name was Udogi Style, which uh, apparently I, has I, been... I don't... But I can't believe you got <laughs> excited for that. That's it's a soft wild. one, isn't it? It's, it's I, I, I know, I know. I, I think I feel like there's a narc in our group. Somebody must have reported it. There's no other reason that that gets flagged. So, whoever you are, I know you're listening. I know, I know, exactly, you know. But yeah, what can I say? If I speak 
I'm in big trouble. Do you know what's embarrassing? That doggy style I've been staring at it for like the past six weeks and it's literally only just clicked now that you said that out loud. I had no <laughs> idea what was offensive about it. <laughs> that is I was very embarrassing. At it and I was like, why was he banned? It doesn't even, I thought it was like, is this like a casually racist <laughs> thing on Gangnam style and they think you're trying to take the mic? It's literally only just clicked. <laughs> so you should be proud that you're more mature than, than my 13 year old brain. That you I'm actually not, are not above that. Uh, I'm not sure how so to So if you feel. have any suggestions for my new name, then please go ahead and, and drop them in uh, on our Twitter, at Plus Day Podcast, and us <laughs> some. The front runners at the moment are um, Vicario Speedwagon, Richie and Scratchy, uh, slash Paratici and Scratchy. Uh, <laughs> what else did I have? Oh, yeah, Dembele Confidential, I thought was quite a clever one. So, yeah, yeah suggest some I more. think, Gags, you know, I think you've got a, a long, rich history of sexual positions. So I think you should you should try and find another one. <laughs> Shall I dust off the Kama Sutra and see what it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. see if it inspires me? Get, get the Kama Sutra out and see if there's any, any anything that rhymes with Madison. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I, I think it is high time that we ended up this podcast because it's going down a dark, dark road. Uh, so follow <laughs> us on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcast. And for the love of God, email us. Email us at plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me personally at Plus Dave Dags. Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. Dave is at Fantasy Dave. And Socks, as we've just established, is far too mature and sensible to be uh, getting himself involved with the riffraff of Twitter. So you can't follow him, unfortunately. But you can email things for his attention and uh, we will read them out. We'll, we'll come back to you and anything you want to discuss or, or tell us on the show, we will try and drop into next week's episode where we will be talking about the looting game and the upcoming Fulham, I believe, is the next one off the bat. So hope you guys can all join us for that too. A quick shout out as well to say once again, I feel like this is getting boring, but another huge thank you to all of you guys listening who have helped to make September our biggest ever month. We've had more listens in September than we have in any other month. The previous record was august the record before that was july so we are actually going from strength to strength back to back to back record months so um that's enough kissing our own asses thanks for listening <laughs> join us next week stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you for the next one